what is good my peoples welcome to another edition of the green beige podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the beige and we welcome i think this is probably the second time for this season mr rookie nurse <laughs> the resident jets fan what's going on rookie i am good so it's double green tonight gentlemen thank you thank you double green double green all right all right <laughs> yeah so as as you can see ricky is in his um his jets colors well agent i have gone for jerseys of the other football because especially for for us we had a very very good weekend with our arsenal taking care of business and as you can see i've gone for a bit of a throwback i have a nike swoosh on my chest which, I mean, that would tell you how long I've had this shirt and how long the Arsenal have been dominating Tottenham when I've been playing them in the North London Derby. So that is always that is always a great feeling. So as we get into this week's episode, this week's episode, we're calling it World Overreactions. That should give you an idea of what we're doing and where we are going because we're looking back at a superb and amazing super world card weekend now what makes it so super well first the six games on the docket that's what now what last year's world card weekend turned out to be a dud this year's version was an absolute stud we had four one score games one miraculous comeback and some goats too stirred up in Tampa Bay <laughs> but before we get to all of that Ricky as you're the Jets fan we have to talk to you about your Jets. So off the rip, what happened with your Jets this season? Or at least I should say the end of the season. In a nutshell, gentlemen, I need a QB. I was never, and I think I said that on this show previously, I was never a fan of Zach Wilson at the draft. Mm-hmm. I was never a fan of going that direction. Uh, on the record, I wanted Justin Fields. But... I need a QB. A number of teams in the NFL are in a position to say the same thing. I think what's frustrating for us as Jet fans this season is that we see Garrett Wilson, we see Sauce Gardner, we see AVT and work being put in on the offensive line, Brees Hall. You see pieces being added. Um, you find yourself at one point in the season at seven and five, and you start to believe. But the reality of it is we need a professional adult quarterback. Zach Wilson isn't going to give us that. Unfortunately, Joe Flacco is not in position to give us that consistently. Mike White is just a, a blue-collar backup. Um, don't, don't mind the New York City hype. So we have to find ourselves a professional quarterback. Um, and it's ironic I'm saying that because we now have a situation where we're reaching a stage where all eight of the remaining playoff teams have starting quarterbacks under the age of 30 for the first time in almost 18 years. So teams have quietly found ways to develop um, at the quarterback position. And you have at least 12 to 15 teams that are suffering. Let's put it that way, at the quarterback position. But I firmly believe, gentlemen, that if I can find a serviceable quarterback for 2023, that my team could better compete for a playoff spot. Okay, interesting. I thought that of the quarterbacks that you have currently in your building, that you would have felt a little bit more positive 
about Mr. Mike White. Seeing as how he is the one that, you know, had the minds of the, the fan base, you know, dreaming of better days. If we could dream of better days and still have three by quarterbacks, and that's what we had this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is completely fair. I, I I can't really say anything more about that. I was, you know, I was kind of hoping that Jets may have been able to do something because right now they do possess the longest um, streak of not making the playoffs in the league. And at seven and five, it was looking pretty good. But yeah, Zach Wilson has proven himself not to be the answer. And I know AJ is not complaining because if you guys were any better then you know, he was from last in the division. <laughs> right, let me say on the record, we are not coming last in the division next season. If Mac Jones is starting for me, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> you got to appreciate AJ's consistency of message when it comes to that topic. That is true. Been exactly. saying it. Been saying it. <laughs> So, so as I said this week, we are looking at world of reactions as we look back to a superb, super world card weekend. And we, we introduced this feature earlier in the season. Um, we call it Overreacting Much. This honestly is AJ's brainchild. This is one that he came up with, and I was more than happy to let him take it because, I mean, it has been fantastic. Now, usually... We would have gone for down territory where we talk about the biggest win, the biggest loss, and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of easy to pick who's the biggest winner and the biggest loser when you have six games on the docket mm. and it's literally win or go home. So we have decided that we're going to give the four down territory a bit of a rest and we're going to take over reacting much for this week. So at this point, I turn it over to my co-host, Mr. AJ Williams. Take it away, sir. All right. Thank you for that auspicious um, introduction, <laughs> sir. Um, Rick, I'm really glad to have you back for this segment, so it won't just be Ken and I going back and forth. So let me get your opinion on some of these topics that have been floating around the NFL sphere. So I did a, a one, one for each game, basically. I, I, Ken, I did actually tell Ricky I may have added one for last night, but since you brought up a topic that we would discuss with regards to that team and that game, the, the, the Monday night game, I decided to not add any more to the overreacting, right? So, okay, yeah. So it'll be fine. We basically have one of each game. So let's start on Saturday, the first game of the wildcard weekend, which was the Seahawks at the Niners. The 49ers chose to wait until the playoffs to, to amass their greatest point total offensively of the season. After that, you know, the, the, the entire football world was buzzing. I mean, even prior to that, everyone was saying how good this team looks, but I want to get your guys' opinion as, as basic a topic as this is. Let me hear what you all are saying. Is it an overreaction to say that the San Francisco 49ers are winning the Super Bowl? And Rick, as our guest, I will start with you, of course. I will say that it is not an overreaction based on the matchup against Seattle. However, there are some much better defenses ahead. Uh, so let's, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. But based on a matchup against a, a defense that has been pretty bad, 
um, for most of the season, not an overreaction based on what we saw on Sunday. But you still believe that there is something, okay? Well, yeah, but, yeah. There, there, there are two. There are two defenses that that potentially lay ahead mm-hmm. that will make those that offense look a little a lot different. I that is interesting. Hold that thought. We'll get back to that later. All right. So, Ken, your thoughts? Is oh. is is that an overreaction? Uh, oh. pr- prematurely crowning the Niners. Go ahead. Yeah, this is an this is an overreaction. Eh? As far as I'm concerned, it's not a big one. I'm not going to sit here and poo-poo on the San Francisco 49ers. Right now, based on what we've seen so far, they look the class of the field with a dominant defense and the most veteran rookie we have possibly ever seen. They were the hottest team coming into the playoffs with 11 straight wins. Purdy has not tasted defeat so far in his career and they're doing what every team dreams of. They're putting up points in bunches and stopping the other team from putting up any. As their winning point differential has been 16.3 points per game. Now, as hot as they are, they're still a rested Eagles team with Jalen Hurts getting a week to rest and rehab his shoulder. And Kansas City over on the other side of the bracket. Again, the 49ers are definitely the hottest team and may actually be the best team when you go unit by unit. But this weekend coming will give us a much better idea of where they stand within the field going up against this red-hot Dallas Cowboys team. I love this. I actually love the fact that we are all three going to break this down in different ways and give three different answers because I don't think that this is an overreaction at all. <laughs> and the thing is, I don't know if you all remember when the McCaffrey trade was announced. I did a video on this. In that video, I said, listen, at this point, and I, I may have been overreacting, but the fact of the matter is this is just my opinion. This, was, this is AJ. I put them as my favorites when that trade went through because I think that that was sort of like a tiny piece that no one else knew that they needed that that uh, um that they were able to fill in in terms of and again it's not like the team was even bad before that but adding christian mccaffrey just to me helped them to to hit another gear and the man has hit the ground running all pun intended i said it i said it back then which is why i will maintain right now obviously ken you know i had my other picks at the beginning of the season <laughs> that proved not to come to fruition but after that trade i was very high on the niners they have not let me down since then, so I'm sticking to my guns until. I do not think that it's an overreaction. It's on everything you all said. I mean, it, it Brock Purdy is a rookie at the end of the day. That is a reality. But listen, this is Kyle Shanahan's QB-friendly offense. This is the offense that made Jimmy Garoppolo look like a serviceable and sometimes even very good quarterback. And can you, you know that all too well because we have many a convo about Jimmy G. I just think that even on a down day, even if the offense takes a little, uh, has a little sputter and takes a little while to get going because of a great opposing defense, that the defense will be able, their defense, that is San Francisco's defense, will be able to neutralize the other offense for long enough to get their, that um, Shanahan offense rolling. So I'm going to say it's not an overreaction. Uh, you know what? I actually thought we were all going to be more in agreement with this. I'm, I really am really excited with all that turned out. <laughs> See, but all right, so the one thing that I will I will admit where um, 
the point that you made in terms of Christian McCaffrey going to San Francisco. The one thing that we always said that San Francisco did very well is that they, they ran a running back committee. Mm-hmm. We never understood that they needed a stud running back until they got a stud running back because then the committee approach has completely gone through the window. It is CMC and CMC all day, every day, including yeah, basically. Sundays. So Basically, but the, 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 thing, the thing about that too is I, I, because in that game against Seattle, Elijah Mitchell was back in the frame. Now, obviously, he's not going to see or share the, the workload with CMC. He's going to be a second, um, um, second tier um, QB, yeah, QB second, running back. The secondary running back. The secondary, right. But at the same time, the fact is that the fact that he is back now, I, I think that they will work him into the offense a bit more. But let's wait to see how that goes. Again, I'm sticking to my guns. They are my favorites. I think they're going to win this thing. Um, all right, so let's move on to... <laughs> What was arguably the most, the most, depending on which side they sit on, the the most. I don't even know the word to find it. You know what? The weirdest game of the weekend, essentially, <laughs> right? The Chargers doing Charger things. Um, they were away from home. They, yeah, traveled to Jacksonville to face a team that had mollywopped them earlier in the season um, in the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, according to all projections, are way ahead of where they're supposed to be. Um, we know how this story goes. The Chargers were up 27 to nothing. Jaguars were able to come back with just enough time to kick a late field goal to win the game 31 to 30. A lot happened in that game. I don't think any of us are going to disagree that Brandon Staley needs to be fired, so I'm not going to get into that topic. The question that I want to ask if it is an overreaction here is, did Cam Dicker, the kicker, cost the Chargers the win? No, no. The reason why I put his name in there is because he had four attempts on that night. He nailed three of them. There was one that he missed. This, the team ended up losing by a single point. If he had scored that one, it is a very distinct possibility that Jacksonville would not have had enough time to come back from the deficit, given the fact that they only won by a single point. But I'm not saying that to influence your decision. Ken, this time I will start with you. Was that missed field goal... The one that he missed out of four, the most costly, and and the reason why they lost that game, the charges that is. This is a huge overreaction. Huge, Cameron Dicker, the kicker, has been phenomenal for the charges since they brought him in. He's had one miss all regular season and one miss in the game on Saturday midway through the fourth, as you've mentioned. But after you're up 27 to nothing and your kicker has made all of his extra points, unlike Brett Maher, (laughs) to blame the kicker as if he's calling the offensive plays. He's playing defense. is to scapegoat someone who definitely does not deserve it. The Chargers were up 27 to nothing and mustered no offense in the second half. 23 runs to 43 passes will you have the lead will not get it done and the defense broke down with indiscipline and all around poor play as you said well before i get to what you said brandon Staley, i don't know if you know this fired his offensive coordinator today mm-hmm. but he should be packing his bags and going with him when he played i 
I told you about this last week, AJ. Mike Williams playing in that meaningless game against Denver and getting a back injury that Mike said, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm playing next week. Or is that so? You have a fracture in your back, sir. You are done for the year. And if Mike Williams was available for this game with his speed, his size, and his catch radius, I am sure they would have come in handy because this game actually mattered. All right. Well, well stated, sir. Ricky, your thoughts? Huge, huge overreaction. Um, the reality of it is the weekend showed us some teams that had formed some bad habits. Chargers are top of the list. Bucks are another such team. And these teams that form these bad habits for stretches in the season repeated their patterns in this opening weekend. Mm -hmm. Chargers did what Chargers do. All right. They just did it on the largest stage with a 27 to nothing lead. When your offense cannot muster up points in that second half, when your defense, right, cannot say, you know what? You gave us this wonderful lead. Let's let's get some stops, right? When your defensive star cannot exhibit some kind of discipline to focus on the job at hand and try to restrict Jacksonville, there is no way. And your superstar QB, who those of you who had that player in fantasy football would know, is capable of going through these stretches without scoring. Mm-hmm. There was nothing about that game that we had not seen for stretches in the season. The difference is it happened on that kind of stage, and we could not fathom that they were going to find a way to lose that game. But there's no way that I can blame Dicker. I followed his career at Texas, Dicker the kicker. He did, he did the job. The rest of that team did not do the job. The coaching staff certainly did not do the job. And it just feels like deja vu. Uh, all over again, as the great quote says, when it comes to the Chargers, whether they're the San Diego Chargers, the LA Chargers, it doesn't matter. They are going to find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I can't, there's no way I can blame the kicker for that putrid performance. All right. That is, that is absolutely fair. I, I am going to agree with y'all half-heartedly here, right? I'm going to say that it is an overreaction, but I'm going to say it's a slight overreaction. I think when it comes to this time of the season, like we always say that football is a game of inches, right? When it comes to this time of the season, like wild card, getting into the postseason and whatever and whatnot, it becomes a game of very thin margins, right? And And the time in which these things can happen in the game, I think, can have an effect on the game. I th no, the reason I, the reason, first of all, let me say the reason I'm saying it's an overreaction is because it is. Of course it is. Like, you, you can't blame the man for them losing because everything you all said is true. This organization is just, they're just bottlers. They are bottlers. Brandon Staley should be on whatever boat or flight that Cliff Kingsbury is going um, to, th to <laughs> Thailand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get two more guys to join your Wolfpack and have a hangover in Thailand. And carry Ken Jong with you too. Brandon Staley don't deserve to be coaching this team. We get that. Um, 
we've all Ken and I have always been mourning his his decision making. It's just his the, the attitude in that at the as at the head coach position, right? There's there's so much wrong. There was so much wrong that was done on the day, and Ken alluded to it too. I don't think we spoke about it that night, but I did mention because I was talking to one of my best friends that night when the game was happening. I was like, well, why why with this lead are they not running the ball effectively? With one, I mean, I know the guy is more of a scat back, but he could run inside and take the hits. Like, why, why are you not wasting time? Why are you not like it's not wasting time, but running down the clock with Austin Eckler? Uh, so, you want to say something? I want to add to that. I'm glad you mentioned it. At the end of that game, Austin Eckler had 13 carries. Travis Etienne, the running back of the team that trailed from 27 to zero, had 20 carries you would never think if you looked at that box score at the end of that game right that jacksonville were trailing and that the chargers were way ahead that is it's <laughs> deplorable that it's is deplorable big. in in that same conversation i just mentioned that i was having with with my best friend i i told him even when they were up 20 so i was like the chargers gonna blow this game you know and and when jacksonville scored right before the half i was like yeah that's it I do not think that the Chargers have enough to see. Like they don't have, they don't have the metal to see this through. So all of that being said, this is a slight over. This is an overreaction. The only reason I said slight is because, and Ken mentioned the timing of the miss. I think was was kind of crucial to to Jacksonville continuing their momentum. It could have taken a little bit of steam off of them if if he had not missed that. But again, the man has been basically phenomenal since since he was put on that uniform this season so it's kind of hard to even put the slightest blame on him but it's all it's only slight because margins margins but they could the kicker is okay with me though so you know the reason why i i still don't agree even though yes the timing may have played a role in like you determining that it is an overreaction but maybe there is something to him missing the field goal when he did did the Jacksonville Jaguars kicked a 36-yard field goal as time was expiring. You know, when you're kicking from 36 yards, that means you're snapping the ball for the 18. They were already in the red zone and not pushing very hard at that point because they didn't need to. They, they were already in field goal range, so they could take their time, take the time out with three seconds left, kick the field goal and win the game. So if you say, okay, the lead is not um, two points, but it's five points, so they have to get into the end zone based on what we saw in the fourth quarter. And remember, too, by this time, the Chargers have taken Joey Bosa out of the game after he has slammed his helmet on the sideline. So mm-hmm. they've taken out one of their best players. He wasn't kicked out of the game. They took him out of the game. So what evidence do we have to suggest that Jacksonville does not score a touchdown at that point in time to win the game. There's, we, there's nothing. So that's why I, I can't put – as much as Dicker should have scored the field goal, I can't put any of this on him. This is on everybody else. Yeah, it is. It is. I agree. It is on everyone else more than him. I, I'm, I'm, the only reason I said slight is because even if I had to put a percentage of blame on it, it would be like 2%. It would be like 2 because that's your only job. Like, you need to do it. But the other 98 goes to every single one else. But 
Uh, you know what? Let me leave that there because again, I don't want it, I don't want it to seem like I'm picking on the guy. I'm not. It's not his fault that there's a plethora of things wrong with that dumpster fire of an organization. So let me let's move on transition into Sunday. Um, so Tua Tango Valo was out for the Dolphins, and I feel like most people expected that the Bills were going to run them over, but this game ended up being a lot closer than most people expected. And once again, some issues that we saw during the regular season with Josh Allen surfaced yeah, again yeah. with him throwing some picks at some, at some of the most inopportune times. Um, there's, there have been conversations about um, Josh Allen's uh, ineptitude at quarterback and his, his, his sudden uh, desire to give the ball to the other team. So um, let me go back to Ricky here to start. Do you think that all of these picks that Josh Allen's throwing would be a recipe for disaster for a team that is supposed to be Super Bowl-bound and looking to win the big dance. Once again, sir, I agree with you, and I'm glad for that leading. It's a recipe for disaster, and Josh is getting better and better at preparing this meal. And he is going to make a meal of it. He is going to make a meal of it in Cincinnati, Sorry, well, that game I think you believe is going to be in Buffalo. He's going to make a meal of it versus Cincinnati in Buffalo this weekend. Because, again, they keep repeating this. We don't know who the second receiving option is to Diggs. And they've not, and they've done all kinds of things. Isaiah McKenzie was not even active for the last game. They brought back Beasley. They trade um, Khalil Shakir, um, the rookie. Knox is on some games, other games Knox is missing on the back of a milk carton. So they don't have a second option to digs. They don't commit to the running game. Whenever that team is under pressure, they forget about Singletary, coming back to the meal analogy, and they don't know how to cook. So we don't see James cook. We don't, and that is why I say there's going to be a recipe for disaster this weekend versus Cincinnati because the team is too Josh Allen dependent. Josh is reverting to reckless Josh. He's getting away with it because they found a way to win that game. But trust and believe that is going, this reckless approach that they've displayed throughout this season is going to cost them this weekend. You can book it, gentlemen. See Save that because I want to, I want to hear a little bit more when we get into like the predictions, right? So let's see that. Ken, take it away, Ken. Do you think it is a recipe for disaster? So this is not another reaction. I have to agree with Ricky. Ricky, I mean, what Ricky just put on there was beautiful. So I'm not even going to try to to match that. I'm just going to I'm just going to give you my points. Huh? No, firstly, looking at this game in particular. I believe that the two interceptions that Allen threw were not all on him. Because the first interception, John Brown stopped on the rope. Tony Romo and Gymnast, they showed that if Brown kept running, at least he would have been in a position that he could have made a defensive play on the ball to stop the ball from being intercepted or at least to make it more difficult for the cornerback to be able to pick it off. So... That's number one. And then the second interception, the ball bounced off the receiver's hand and fell into the defender's lap. So, based on those two, 
I would like to say that it would have been an overreaction. However, Josh Allen has 14 interceptions. He had 14 interceptions during the regular season. I know he has two in the first playoff game. That's 16 picks in 18 games. That shows a general recklessness with the ball that in the weeks to come will be fatal. Miami did not play their first or second string quarterbacks and were still able to make it a game against Buffalo, taking the lead multiple times on Sunday afternoon. Now, when they're going on, they face this high port Cincinnati offense this week and projecting to a meeting with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, these kinds of mistakes will be difficult to overcome when their defense isn't as fearsome as it has been for most of the year. Here, here. All right, Giants. Once again, very articulate from the both of you. Um, so for the first time tonight, I'm going to agree with you both. I <laughs> do not think that this is an overreaction. And usually I would defend quarterbacks who might be, a, well, let me not say usually. I have defended them once or twice. Quarterbacks who have been a little loose with the ball, especially since Matt Stafford led the league in picks last year and was a Super Bowl champion. But to a lot of the points that Ricky made, that team was a lot more well-rounded than this Bills team is. Um, there are too many inefficiencies offensively. So when they come up against other teams and if this is going to be an issue for Josh Allen and they can't get anything else rolling, especially not being able to run the football, I think it is going to be detrimental. And my beginning of the season pick, Ricky, I ain't, I ain't even sure if you know, but I had these men in the Super Bowl. So I'm admitting now that to me, this is not an overreaction. I think if Josh can't get it together, this is going to, it's going to be a problem. It it's is going to be, be a problem. Rap. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. pretty much. All right. So moving on rather swiftly. <laughs> the upset <laughs> of the weekend, is it really? I mean, uh, if I had to put money on this game, I was putting it on the Giants. Um, Same. Yeah, to be very honest. So, yeah, the Vikings did it again. They blew it. Um, the Giants keep rolling, much to my dismay. Um, <laughs> but they very much deserve their win. Daniel Jones looked, he looked fairly good. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot to unpack in this game, to be very honest. But so the question that comes from this with regards to the overreaction, and obviously because we know of Cousins' contract situation with the Vikings and whatnot, and the way this team, direction this team is heading, um, do you think that the Vikings, after what happened in that game and them being the season that they had and then to be trounced in the first game and exit like that, do you think that they need to get rid does this Vikings organization need to get rid of Kirk Cousins? Like, let me rephrase it. The Vikings need to get rid of Kirk Cousins. Is that an overreaction? Uh, Ken. Okay. So, <laughs> this is not an overreaction. Not in the slightest. Kirk Cousins has a ceiling and is much lower than where the Minnesota Vikings would like it to be. Cousins has this maddening tendency to play really well one week and think the next and we know of his prime time struggles especially on a monday night you can just if you're a betting man just bet on the other team kirk cousins has two wins out of like 12 games on monday night so 
when I look back into what Kirk Cousins did this season to help me, you know, formulate my my argument, right? And it's four losses in the regular season. These are Kirk Cousins' numbers: forty-one to seventeen, he lost to Green Bay. He was eighteen of thirty-one for two hundred and five yards, three picks. He had a good game against Detroit, but most teams had good games offensively against Detroit. Against the Cowboys, he was twelve of twenty-three. 105 yards, zero touchdowns, zero picks. Against the Eagles in Week 17, a game that they would have needed to win if they had any designs on the number one seed in the NFC. He was 26 of 46, 221 yards, three picks. Cousins is inconsistent and sporadic and almost always fails when the lights are on. As I said before on this show, Somebody needs to remind Kirk Cousins he plays in a dome. The lights are always on. <laughs> if you dream of success, you have to dream of a new quarterback in school country. There's no two ways about it. All right. And with that, Rick, your thoughts? My thoughts are as follows. This is why some apartments are called a flat because they have high floors and low ceilings. <laughs> this gentleman is the epitome of mediocre. But the reality of it is, and this is the only reason that I would temper the overreaction statement, if you don't have Kirk Cousins, who are you going to get? You see, the, the Vikings are in the worst position you could be in the NFL. Good enough to make the playoffs. Mediocre enough for us to know that you're not going to go very far. So you have a decision to make. Do I draft or attempt to use draft capital on a QB? Or do I use it to fix that woeful defense that has been woeful for the entire season? Mm. Here's the fundamental issue why I may be tempted to say it is a slight overreaction. In the second half of that game justin jefferson was targeted three times in the third quarter he had one catch for four yards he was not targeted in the fourth quarter while i can blame cousins certainly if i'm the quarterback of the vikings in that kind of game i'm looking for my star my bona fide star mm -hmm. but i also gotta blame the play calling because i am sorry but in that situation the lights are on, as Ken said, in the dome, at home. This is where you try to get the playoff postseason, you know, home field advantage. And I'm targeting Justin Jefferson in the entire second half. Three times, one catch for four yards and not once in the fourth quarter. No, that, that goes beyond logic, in my opinion. Ooh, all right. So wait. So in the end, you're saying it is what a slight in the end, I'm saying it is a mild overreaction. Mild overreaction. Okay. Mild. <laughs> I'm Ricky. I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you. I'll just add a little bit more here. So the thing is, I'll admit I didn't. I wasn't like intently watching this game. I saw bits and pieces. I was watching it on and off because I had some other stuff at home I was taking care of. Um. So I, I'm I, I'm saying that to say that I. I don't think that I can give a full analysis of Kirk's game, re, like the eye test and the stats. All I have here is the stats. From, from what I actually saw, I, 
I, I did not see him necessarily looking bad, but again, because mm-hmm. I was watching on and off, I don't think I can accurately gauge like, you know, like him in, in the game time situations or what. I, mean, I might have seen him compete a, a certain throw and, and who? I, I, I feel like I want to say, though, it is a slight overreaction because just based on the numbers alone, I, they don't look too bad. And, and here's my issue. So let, me, let me list his numbers from the night. He was 31 of 39. 273 yards, two passing touchdowns, no picks that night. He, he, he wasn't taking on no sacks. Um, I one rush for a yard. I don't even know what that is. But either way, <sighs> the Vikings have a lot of problems. They have not been able to run the football effectively all season, um, right. which is a damn shame because they're supposed to have like a top five or maybe even a top three running back coming off of the back of last season. And, and and it's not just that, but Ken, I feel like also we mentioned this the other day in one of the chats. It's not just that they have only Dalvin Cook. It is the fact that they have one of the better backups in the league. Like, mm-hmm. Madison always goes off when Dalvin Cook is out. Like, he does not, not have a bad game when he's thrust into that position, right? Um, they haven't been able to do that. And on the other side of the ball... The Vikings have the worst secondary in the NFL statistically. They can't stop a runny nose. So it 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 with I mean with all these things and and, and it it seemed like it seemed like they weren't even prepared like scheme wise they they had nothing uh, like there's one man on on the Giants offense to stop me and me. They couldn't they they, they I guess they subdued him a bit but they couldn't stop him and obviously you all know I mean Saquon and then that the other um receiver Hodgins he had a heck of a game he did have a heck of a game I feel like there's so many things so many other moving parts here I find it hard to say that Kirk is like the focal point of the reason why they lost because at the same time Ricky with what you said um with regards to like the play calling and not targeting Justin Jefferson enough I think what Kirk had going on that night was his connection with TJ Hawkinson, who had 10 receptions, man went in beast mode, 129 yards. He didn't get into the end zone, but still, uh, as, as, as fairly decent. That is fairly decent. Yeah, but gentlemen, in mm. fairness, Kirk Cousins does not play defense. So at the end of the day, <laughs> they have to address that woeful defense that has been bad exactly. consistently the entire season exactly exactly See, which I, is <laughs> no I, I i so i accept everything that you guys have said huh? i'm mm-hmm. i'm not here to disparage the points that you've made but you know there's a saying that says about um a rising tide raises all ships mm-hmm. but you have kirk cousin as your kirk cousins as your quarterback is always low tide you cannot <laughs> guarantee that Kirk Cousins is going to give you a decent game when you need it. He had a good game on 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 Sunday, and to be fair, I've heard it said many many times, and I agree with it. It is not fair to be using quarterback wins or using wins as a quarterback stat because the quarterback only plays one side of the football. But at the same time, when you as the quarterback, like, we have seen it with Kirk Cousins. The book is written with him. He he 
He is the new Mendoza line of quarterbacks in the NFL. If you have a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, you're in a good position. If you have Kirk Cousins or worse, you need to get a quarterback. I, I I'm, and I'm not, I'm not in disagreement with any of that. Um, I'm not in disagreement with any of that. That's why, that's why I'm saying really that I think it's a slight overreaction because the the Vikings, like like Ricky stated before, they are in a very precarious position, right? I don't think anyone would begrudge them moving on from Kirk Cousins to get a better quarterback. But at the same time, I find it hard to kind of like pigeonhole Kirk and, and make him the scapegoat when there's so many other issues with this team. Though. Uh, but again, Ken, you're right. I'm, I'm, you do have a point, and I, I mean, I agree. Like Kirk Cousins ain't the one. I told one of my coworkers is a Vikings fan, and I told him at the beginning of the season, like, yeah, yeah. You might have a good season, but Kirk Cousins ain't the one. Like you ain't going that far, no. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I am with it. <laughs> I think it's like because on the thing is on on the one day when they get eliminated and obviously that it set set the the whole football world ablaze. Kirk actually wasn't the worst thing on the field. He wasn't like the the the, the worst issue or, or the the main talking point. So, I'll give him a little. I'll give him an ease. I'll say overreaction, but slight. All right, so after that, we had the Sunday night game. So this will be the final one. It was the Ravens at the Bengals, that um, North rematch. Obviously, Lamar Jackson was absent, not just on the field, but he didn't even travel with the team, apparently. Um, Tyler Huntley was back, and he stepped in to deputize uh, to play against last the, the reigning AFC champs, um, the Bengals. One score game in the end, you know how it what happened. There was a play, it was close to the end, I believe, if I remember correctly, because this is another one I was kind of in and out coming close to the end. Um, where Huntley tried to <laughs> to go over everyone to get the ball into the end zone, ends up fumbling it, and there was like a whatever, how many ever your 90 something yard return? 98. Uh, 98. There we go. Your return for a touchdown, which proved to be a pivotal moment in the end. So the narrative for here is, and gents, I will phrase it this way. Is it, and, and, and y'all will know what I mean by this, because you know this is like common sort of language here. The Ravens lost that game more than the Bengals won it. Is that statement an overreaction? I'll leave it up to y'all. Who actually wants to take this one first? Ricky, you go ahead. I'll take it. Yes, the Ravens lost that game more than the Bengals won it. The reality of it is Ravens had opportunities to punch the ball into the end zone. Ravens had opportunities to stay true to what Ravens football was supposed to be. But the Ravens have been so distracted by disrespecting a former MVP franchise quarterback, whatever, um, argument we may want to have that they never really prepared for the opponent on the field and again another example of a team that did things during the regular season that came back to bite them in the playoffs another example of that because had that team truly prepared based on that matchup that ball multiple occasions would have been placed in the stomach of jk dobbins and J.K. Dobbins would have had an opportunity to punch that ball into the end zone 
on two separate occasions. But the team was too caught up in trying to produce to produce Lamar Light rather than win the ball game. Lamar Light. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Ken. Um, did the Ravens lose this game more than the Bengals won it? Yeah, so this statement is not an overreaction. But for that inexplicable play call to trade a quarterback sneak from an obvious run formation from two yards out, we could be getting ready for the Baltimore Ravens to get stomped by the Bills. The Bengals did not play a good game on Sunday night. Burrow, he was 23 of 32 for 209 yards and one touchdown. As a team, they had just 51 yards on 18 carries and Burrow had the lone rushing touchdown. The Ravens stymied the Bengals on defense and hung in there on offense for most of the game. But they got too cute too many times, which I will attribute to what Ricky said. You try to have Lamar light. You're trying to say to Lamar that if you don't pony up and take the money that we're giving you, then we're going to just go with Tyler Huntley because he is giving us pretty much the same thing that you're giving us. But clearly, if you went on this losing streak heading into the playoffs, that is not the truth. That is not the case. Now, going back to this specific game, they were being, sorry, they were gashing the Bengals in the run game mm -hmm. and then decided to bring Mark Andrews in the backfield for a rush, which, <laughs> which only got back to the line of scrimmage. And then, AJ, you and I, we've been watching football now for quite a while have you ever ever seen a team decide that they're going to quarterback sneak from the two-yard line and if you're going to quarterback sneak from the two-yard line why in the name of peace are you going heavy with two running backs behind the quarterback mm. rather than saying we're going four wides we're going to make you take all of these men out the box so that we have the best possible opportunity to get this ball in there. And then, I mean, it might sound bad to pick on Tyler Huntley, but why are you making the decision to go over the top rather than go underneath the guys and try to find an angle to get inside the end zone? Maybe he was watching the Jacksonville game the night before when Trevor Lawrence stretched his hand out over the end zone, into the end zone, but that was from one yard out, not two yards. So you go now and you you you're holding the ball over everybody's head, like if you are Rafiki in the Lion King, only for somebody to steal Simba and run all the way down the other end of the field. Man, what not the circle of life, man. Not the circle. <laughs> What are we doing? What are we doing, Baltimore? Okay. So, so no, this was this was all on Baltimore. Baltimore definitely dropped the ball on this one. Well said. Um, let me let me be. This is probably the shortest segment I'll ever do here. I agree with both of you, and that's that. Yeah, whatever y'all said, just retweet. Yeah, the, the end. Nothing more to add. Yeah, the end. The end. And speaking of end, that is the end of our overreacting much segment. So I think we have something else that Ken wanted to bring up tonight that we will get into. 
Can't take it away, sir. So yeah, Ricky. So last mm-hmm. night we had a spirited discussion. I mean, this this thing took quite a while. I I left a conversation between AJ and Justin Marvel of this just in. I had to go and take I had to go and wash myself off while the Buccaneers again washed off by the Cowboys. <laughs> and AJ said that Todd Bowles that we should be harder on Todd Bowles because Todd Bowles as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers like um what was his name Stephen Amell and Green Arrow constantly said he has failed this city and that we have not been doing enough or we have not been hard enough on Mr. Bowles primarily because Mr. Bowles is a brother Justin and I disagreed with his assessment of this situation. I would like to hear from you. Do you believe that, or shall I I'll phrase it in, in, the, in the, um, the spirit of what we just left, overreacting much? Is it an overreaction to say that Tarboz is getting a pass on what happened with these Buccaneers this season? All right. Let me start since I, I, I know, know a thing or two about Mr. Todd Bowles, since he, he was the head coach of my beloved New York Jets. I agree that he is getting a pass from some fans, but I will add that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' ownership cannot afford to be too hard on Todd Bowles right now, and I'm going to tell you why. It is rumored that Leftwich was gone at one point today. Then the Bulls came out to say no. Supposedly, Leftwich is as good as gone to Pittsburgh to be their OC, supposedly, as they remove Canada from the Steel City. But the reality of it is, if you are the ownership of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, last night notwithstanding, you can't afford to get rid of Todd Bowles right now because you don't know who your QB is going to be next season. You may lose um, Leftwich, whether you get rid of him or he chooses to exit because his value is eroding now with every passing season. Remember when he was the hot commodity for the next head coaching job? Mm-hmm. That has, imagine that has changed in two years. So you need Todd Bowles to be, unfortunately, the scapegoat in this situation. You need Todd Bowles to be willing to have some losing seasons, maybe one, maybe only one next season. So unfortunately, gentlemen, Todd Bowles is finding himself in the same situation that Lovey Smith was in. Same situation that I don't remember his name right now, the head coach um, of the Texans the year before Lovey Smith was in, where he is a dead man walking. He knows it. Fan base knows it. Ownership knows it. But you cannot get rid of the guy. Try to find a new head coach because who is going to come there under the cloud of, we don't know what Tom is doing. And we don't know what direction this team is heading. Because Carolina is going to only move in one direction. The Saints can't possibly be okay with the kind of season that they had. And say what you want about Atlanta. But Atlanta had their moments in the season. They just need some pieces to add to that team. Therefore, the only team in that division that's moving in the wrong direction and rapidly are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
So I agree that Bowles has earned the brunt of criticism, deservedly so. But I don't think that the Bucks ownership can afford to be hard on Todd Bowles right now because they're going to need a gatekeeper for this transition from Tom, because I, I think Tom is as good as gone, to whoever. So the, the interesting thing, based on what you just said, right? So the conversation went last night that AJ said that you look at the coaching. If I, I'll let AJ give his point. So AJ, you give your point, and then I will give the rebuttal that Justin and I were making. All right. So we make because I, I I don't have this written. I am basically going to spit this off. What I was trying to to articulate last night. I know what Ken. I saw you say something today in the group, and I started because I want to bring it back up, right? Because you see, the high, <laughs> the, the higher the animal climbs, right? When we when you were talking about. In one of the other chats, you were talking about the M Unai Emery era, right? Stardies, man. Stardies, let me, let, me, let me read them out for you. You said, but he came in after Wenger, and the team started, started out well. I, I God, know that you was waiting on that God, just, just hold on, sir. Don't interrupt me, Skip. Don't interrupt me, Skip. Don't interrupt me, Skip. Just know you got to take off your glasses if you had them right, on. Right? Right. But, but, but Ken... <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> but you say that he, they started off well, got to Europe, a Europa final. He said, but after losing that, it went to hell in a handbasket. And as the manager, he should be able to correct some of that. Those same players won the FA Cup after he got fired. Previous one, right? As a, as, and as the manager, he should be able to correct that, some of that, some of that at least. This is exactly the point I was trying to make last night, right, Rick? I was not saying, and now let me be very clear. I was no, in no way, shape, or form advocating that Todd Bowles lose his job. All I was right. saying is that when we look at the grand scope of what went wrong with the Bucks, I do not think that it is fair or just even to give a pass to coaching. And I even, I mentioned Todd Bowles because he's the head coach, but I'm saying like coach, even, even Baron Leftwich, like just coaching on that team generally. Because that team sucked. They were bad. And it is, a, it is the job of the head coach and the coaches to have guys prepared. No, I understand. We understand that there are situations that there are unforeseen circumstances like guys get injured. And then you have to put in guys who, you know, who may not be as good, whatever the case. You have injuries, men get older, age and attrition, all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day... My, the point I was trying to make was that we have seen a lot of these guys be better. There's still a lot of players on this team who, are, who were on that Super Bowl winning team. There are a lot of players who know what it takes to, to go through the playoffs to get... Like, what we saw from this team was not good enough for the entire year. And, and I'm not saying that I expected them... Ken, stop me if, if, um, if you hear me saying anything new that I didn't say last night, right? I'm, I'm not saying that I expected them to be Super Bowl contenders or anything of that sort. What I'm saying is they should be better than an 8 and 19 who made it as into the, the, the postseason basically as the worst of the lot. Even the Seahawks is better than these. Like, there is no phase of Buccaneers football that was good. It could even be like, like the Eagles team because we know the Eagles, the Eagles were rolling all season, but we've identified that the Eagles have a deficiency when it comes to stopping the run, right? Which is cool, but they 
but there, at, at least there's, there's one aspect of that team that's good. There's no part of this Bucks team that's good, and I cannot put it down solely to the personnel on this team. And, and granted, I did say the front office has some questions to answer with the way they built this roster, certain things they addressed and, and the lack of, uh, of certain things that they didn't address and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I cannot give a, in good conscience give a pass to head coaching, to coaching generally. They have to be all, they have to be in, in, in or all of them have to be lumped up in like reasons as to why this team was bad. Let me, let me just add based on a comment we have here in, in the chat by Mark Thompson. Good evening, Mark. Mark said, it doesn't help that the former head coach has a seat in the building. His specter is large. Full Fair agreement. Point. Full point. agreement. All right. So, so no, Ricky. Because, no, you get to be the arbiter of this situation because, like I said, this was a, this was a passionate discussion that we had last night. Justin and I, we both said that when you look at the construction of this team, you have lots of deficiencies in personnel, which is what you can then point to as to why the team looks as bad as it does. So we, we both started with the lines because, you know, when we're talking about football, Football, you build your team from the inside out. So you want to have a good offense, you need to have a good offensive line. If you want to have a good defense, your defensive line has to be good enough that then your linebackers and your secondary can then perform. Football is the ultimate team game in that regard because there's no way that you can succeed if your lines are bad. And for the Buccaneers, their lines were bad. They were very, very bad. One of their best offensive linemen retired right before the season started. And then they had injuries constantly on the offensive line, which then means that you have a problem when you have an older quarterback who has not ever been mobile to, do, to try to make things happen. Mark says Brady's playing that he doesn't want to get hit. Hence, he's getting rid of the ball too quickly at times, leading to bad timing. Well, I that is that pick last night too. Right, no, but while that is true, last night we also saw Brady miss a wide open, my Evans. There was nobody standing 30 yards on Mike Evans, and Brady missed the throw, and he missed several of those throws all throughout the season so we started with the fact that the line is bad now your quarterback is not playing well he's missing throws when you take out the fact now that the quarterback is not playing well he's not getting on the same page with his wide receivers as they showed last night before the game he was missing my evans by four and five all, yards all season long. all season long on the deep shots so no you can't run the football because your running backs have not been very good, generally speaking, but your offensive line can't run block. They can't pass block. So when you go and you play the entire season, 17 games, and you average 77 yards rushing per game, what is that? That is nothing. So now we switch over to the other side of the ball. 
Vita Vea is supposed to be their main guy to stop the run. And Vita Vea was both there, so again, push left and right. He was rushing, coming out the field, and the guys and the center was like, okay, so we want to run to the left, and you're coming directly at me, I'll just move you to the right. And big holes are opening up all season long. As good as a coach as you can be, there's certain things that you cannot overcome. And when I made mention of Unai Emery in the other chat today, the point that I was making was, and I highlighted it when I said, these same players after he got fired, won the FA Cup, was to show that it was not necessarily that the players were bad, but he could not get the best out of the players. We can talk all we want about preparation and getting the team ready and getting the players ready to go play. That is that is a well-spoken and well-taken point. But you know who's also preparing? The other team. And preparation alone cannot be preparation and talent. So when you take everything... Imagine me, a Saints fan, who is happy that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look as bad as they did all season. I'm giving you explanations as to why, yes, Tarbos will have to accept some level of culpability, but you cannot say it's his fault. I, not I never did. Everything, <laughs> but not when everything else around him is bad. That's like saying that the kitchen is terrible when the foundation, the walls, and the roof leaking. But I, I never said it was Todd Bowles' fault. I said y'all are not. I said I said there's not enough conversation about how bad the coaching was in this team. Because you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned all them sort of things that we, we know Tom Brady was was showing signs of 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 um, decline this season, but he still finished the season with the most completions in the league. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, I let you. I let you finish. I let you finish. Let me, let me I knew you was coming with that though, so that's why I say that's why I made listen, the point. I'm so, glad, I'm so right. glad you made this statement. So I no, I'm so glad you made this statement. So I will repeat it again. As the manager, he should be able to correct some of that. That is essentially what I was saying about Todd Bowles last night. And again, I, I didn't I, I wasn't putting this all on him. I'm not saying that coaching is the reason that they lost. A lot of what y'all articulated, a lot of what y'all said in those voice notes. It, it, it was very true. I'm just saying, it's his job. Your job as a manager is not just X's and O's. It is your job to have your team prepared. And you, and you, you mentioned that Unai Emery's, that the post-Unai post Emery Arsenal team w- was able to win, right? With, with basically the, the same bulk of players. The team that Todd Bowles had, had there's a core of, of players who had actually won already. It's not like these players are bums. They're not. No, to the point about Brady like throwing away the ball and being like, I, I take all of that. I, I take everything you're saying into consideration. All I'm not, again, I'm not saying this team was supposed to be Super Bowl bound, but they're not supposed to be eight and nine and looking bad in every phase of the game. Not every single phase. They could have been nine and eight if they played Brady in the last game, but they decided to pull him in the loss to the Falcons. <laughs> that, that, so when you want to talk record, let me let me put that into consideration. And I'm the fact still remains, as I said, you can do as much as you like. You can come out and be as prepared as you want, but if you do not have the horses for the courses, there's only so much you can do. When we look at like 
these cup games for like the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup and all these other cups all over. When you have low league opposition playing against some of the biggest teams in the world, on occasion you will get an upset where the lower league opposition will, will find a way to win the game. But you cannot say that when somebody like Oxford United plays against Arsenal and gets beat 2-0, that Oxford United did not prepare the best way they could. No, they prepared, they did everything that they could to win the game, but at the end of the day, the players on the field have to make what they have to make the plays. And if you do not have good enough players, you cannot make the plays. It's, that's just the way it is. Because you're not playing by yourself. And this is where I will wholeheartedly disagree. Because there is no way I can accept that a 53-man roster. Every single body on this team could look so bad, and it's, and it's every single... This is a full NFL team. There's no way that every... Because I'm pretty sure there's another coach who could get these men to rally together, that you would see these men playing better. So I'm I, pretty, Because they have before. Some of them have before. Some of them have before. That's my point. We have so, seen these men be better. So my, question, so my mm -hmm. question to you then is this. How do your wide receivers look good if your quarterback is missing them with the ball? How does your quarterback... No, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me finish. Let me finish. How does your quarterback look good if he has no run game to build the play-action game off of and his offensive line is not giving him time to hold the ball to get players, two players down the field? If your quarterback can't look good because your offensive line doesn't look good, your wide receivers can't look good. So how, how does that and, work out? And if a coach cannot get his players to do what he needs them to do, then what then it, is is he not at fault as well? You, you know, he's hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because you mentioned, you remember, remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the fact that um, Donovan Smith was the most penalized player in the league, right? He was, you know, he didn't finish the season on top. You know who was the who ended up being the most penalized player in the league? Landon Dickerson of the Philadelphia Eagles. So you mean to tell me that? So I, I don't want to hear excuses that oh well. If you have men like that, Landon Dickerson of the Eagles, who had the number one seed, was the most penalized. So don't tell me that outside of these men who are doing foolishness, that you can't get a team together. So I'm, here's my... All, I'm, all, I, all I am... Hold on. All I am saying is that but offense, defense, and special teams can look bad. It cannot. So one aspect of this team has to look good. So, so One but, aspect, as a head coach, you want, you, one aspect of this team has to look good. But my question to you is how how can it look good? Because all right, so I asked this question last night and I'll ask it again. Ricky, you can go you can probably go a step in here because we can keep this going all night. <laughs> but all right, so we saw it last night in the game against Dallas. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers could not run the football. So there right. was no play action game that could happen. They could not pass the ball deep because the offensive line could not protect Brady long enough to pass the ball deep. So there's no threat of a run game. There is no deep passing game to force the safeties to back off. And as Justin said multiple times, if you can't run the ball against a two-safety high look, then you can't run the ball at all. So when you know, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you can't run the ball, you can't pass the ball deep, and the defense now is sitting on every single short rope as the offensive coordinator and as the head coach what in the name of peace can you do because nothing is going to work 
You see, you keep talking about in-game situations. Why are the why is why was it in 19 weeks we never saw the Buccaneers look that don't tell me it's personal every single week. I cannot accept that every single week. That for 18 weeks in a regular season and then a playoff game that this team looks so so deplorable every single week and it's not the head coach part of the problem. Come on, man. Come on. Don't tell me that. This is an NFL franchise. We ain't talking about AFL or CFL. This is an NFL franchise. Man is a head coach. It is your job to correct some of these issues. Correct them in train in practice, in training sessions, in what whatever have you. There's no reason that this team should have looked so terrible at this stage of the season or for the entire season every single week. Even when they won blasted game, they were looking bad. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason why they should be looking so bad. Listen, and again, again, this is not Todd Bowles' blame. I'm saying he's lumped in there with the front office, with the players who y'all are talking about who got older and were not performing. Tom Brady as well. Tom Brady's part of the problem. If you, if you, if you need to hear me say it, I, I will say it. Tom Brady is part of that problem. But don't tell me that Tom Bowles ain't got anything to do with it, though. Erroneous. Erroneous let me, on all counts. Let me, let, me say, let me say this. This is history repeating itself. This same thing happened to Bowles when he was with, with the Jets. Started to lose the locker room. Started to lose players. Players started to do as they like. Um, I think that this is anchored in motivation or lack thereof by Bulls. It's not the first time I'm seeing this. It's just on a larger scale because your QB is Tom Brady, and you're 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 doing it with a roster that we saw Bruce Arians get a totally different level of motivation and obviously results. I think that this is a Bulls motivational issue, um, raising its head again in, in Tampa. That part doesn't surprise me. I agree with the one of the comments that we have here by Mark about he has to go, but they can't afford to let him go. Because again, I say you're going to need a scapegoat. You're going to need a gatekeeper, somebody to hold on the fort. Because when Tom Brady ends up in the silver and black or back in New England, <laughs> right? Or back in New England, you need Lovey Smith 2023 in Todd Bowles to hold on the fort in Tampa Bay. So he he deserves to go, but Tampa Bay cannot afford to let him go. The other thing, let me just add though, we're seeing a pattern where some teams are scapegoating the OCs when the, the, the hot, when the flame has been turned up on the head coach. My Jets have done it. Um, Chargers apparently did it today. Washington also. And did it. if we believe, right, um, Commanders. And if we believe the rumors, we may wake up tomorrow morning and hear that left witch is officially gone because Twitter has already fired him. But some quarters, some more official media are saying that Bull said that Leftwich, they've not made a decision yet on Leftwich. But it is an interesting pattern because it's almost like the ownership needs someone to blame. They need an axe to fall on someone, but they're not going to be bold enough to get rid of Staley, to get rid of Sailor, to get rid of uh, Rivera. So the OC is going to have to fall on the sword um, in those four cities this season. All right. So I know 
we 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 were not planning to let that discussion get as passionate as it did again, <laughs> but that that's the nature of the beast sometimes. So before that's we get playoff, here, that's playoff intensity, sir. Playoff intensity on Green Bay. There you go. So now we we have the matches set for this week. The NFL divisional round is starting with the Jaguars at the Chiefs on Saturday. And then we have the Giants at the Eagles on the, well, with the nightcap on Saturday. Those are the two number one seeds playing both on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we have the Bills hosting the Bengals and the Cowboys at the 49ers. So, gentlemen, what is the best game of the weekend, Ricky? The best game of the weekend is also the game with the most expensive ticket. <laughs> it's also the game that the scalpers are going to make a mint off of. It is America's team. The hype train itself is going to roll in to um, <laughs> to San Francisco. Santa. Correct, to San Francisco. That is going to be the game of the weekend. You agree, AJ, or do you have another pick? I, I, I mean, I do agree. Uh <laughs> Yeah, the Dwight Clark game. Uh, <laughs> that is the one I'm looking for, out for. And, and obviously, being a, a resident of Dallas myself, that's the one I'm hearing the most about. Um, that is it for me. And the NFL knows it too. That's why that game is a Sunday night game. Well, it's not even Sunday night. It's Sunday afternoon. Afternoon. Because, well, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. we have Evening. games, yeah. at, and these are Eastern. So 2.30 p.m., 6.15 p.m. on Saturday, and then usual 1 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. slots. So for someone like me, who usually has a game that kicks off at 6.20 p.m., this is going to be a little bit odd that football is going to be done, you know, very early <laughs> in the evening. Yeah. But for those of you in the Caribbean, I'm sure that you're going to welcome that the games are going to be finished well before midnight. Now, I I really can't disagree. Um, I think we have, we, we have some... Well, we have two very good games on Sunday. Sunday, to me, is probably where, as you can say, the money is going to be made in terms of the matchups. Mm-hmm. But once we once we know who, well, which is the best game of the weekend, is there any team or teams that should be on upset watch? Who do you think could possibly step on the banana skin this weekend? Well, I will gladly start. I, I, I started earlier and where he said a theme of teams that had bad habits in the regular season that came back to bite them in the playoffs. And down the final four weeks of the season, the Philadelphia Eagles displayed some very bad habits. A team that was supposed to be very good against the run. We heard that they drafted Jordan Davis out of Georgia and he was going to plug the holes. And then they were so confident in young Jordan Davis that they went out and signed two very experienced defensive players for the same exact um, contract fee and salary because they were worried about their ability to stop the run. They had had some very bad games. Yes, we can argue that Jalen Hurts was not there and so on, but that adds to the, the, the fact that you don't have the synergy that you had earlier in the season. Uh, my prediction is that this is a well-coached Giants team that is playing with house money. Daniel Jones is looking the part. We wouldn't identify these Giants receivers in a lineup if we had to. I mean, Hodgkins could knock on my door right now, and I had no, I have no idea what he looks like. Not to mention the others. 
Um, but my prediction is that the Giants are going to play ball control. They're going to be disciplined in terms of staying with the run game and Saquon. And my upset is that the New York Giants are going to sicken AJ by upsetting the Eagles and advancing to the NFC title game. So, so what about you, AJ? Who or what upsets do you foresee? <sighs> Much as it is going to hurt my stomach to say this, that is exactly who I had. Because can we've had infinite discussions about these Eagles throughout the season, brought up like random topics and points and stats and so on about the Eagles. And I've just, I hope Dale not in here. I'm sorry, Dale, if you are though. But <laughs> I, have just, I have just, as much as I have been fair, I think, in giving the Eagles credit, I've also not been overly enamored with them and, and what they're doing. I, I still think there are inefficiencies that can be exploited and capitalized on. And I think the Giants is a team that can do it. And having that familiarity as well, I think is going to aid the Giants. It, God, I hate the Giants, but I feel like <laughs> the Eagles should be the ones on upset alert. I'm going to agree with Ricky. Yeah, I, I guess this is, this is another clean sweep because when we look at the, the other games, well, as much as the Jaguars are the Cinderella team, I feel like if you know, they're never out of a game, they're out of this one even before kickoff. <laughs> I, I, I can't see them beating the Chiefs. And then on Sunday, can you really call an upset if the Bills win against the Bengals or the Bengals beat the Bills? Like I feel like if that game is almost a pick'em. And then the Cowboys and the 49ers, this is... I, I too believe that the 49ers are going to win. Um, this is a great point. For me to also mention our Green Bay's bracket challenge, for those of you who are with us still, we were not able to get the bracket out to you before the um, the wildcard round, but the brackets are up now. The divisional round is here, and you have until Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, which is 12.30 my time, to go to our Instagram and get the bracket, make your selections, and send it to me via email i believe our email is listed there if it is not i will make sure that it is there before well by the end of tonight because we actually do have some prizes for the bracket challenge we'll tell you what those prizes are next week so please 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 take part we're hoping that somebody can win it this season we want you to give us scores as well because if you pick the winner, you'll get some points. And if you pick the correct score, then you get bonus points. So if we have, let's say for argument's sake, we have four people who've picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl and the Eagles find a way to win the Super Bowl. If your points are the closest, then you will have an opportunity to, to win the grand prize of this season's bracket challenge. And like I said, next week we'll let you know what the prizes are. Look at Mark, look. Look at Mark, look. <laughs> yeah, Mark is saying that he has the Giants at the Cowboys for the NFC Championship. We will see. So, so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> we will see what happens. Please make your selections. My bracket will be up tomorrow. That will take it from 
this point straight through to the end of this NFL season. So Ricky, as always, we do love having you with us. And we were so glad that you could join us and, you know, play a little referee as well. For me, <laughs> My pleasure. On top both, we will have you back again before the end of this season. So hopefully you can you can keep a Tuesday night free for us. So that we no can, problem, you know, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Good to okay. see you, Rick. Yeah. So at yeah. this point, this is a great time to, to end this week's show. We've been here for an hour and 20 minutes and counting. So... Again, Ricky, thank you so much for being here with us. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And we will see you guys next time.